Okay. Well, welcome back once again to, um, to, to a large group. It's good to see you all. Um, I hope you've had it. Like I said, I hope you've had a good week. It's too much. Um, so how about all that rain, man? Wow. I not, that's a lot of rain we had. It's nice. I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah. Welcome back to a large group. It's good to see you all. Most of you should know why we're here. I don't see any new faces or anybody who's like, what am I doing here? So, um, so anyways, um, yeah, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, the last semester, we've been looking at joy. We've been looking at what does the Bible, what does this book, Philippians in particular, have to say about joy? And we've looked at a lot. We've seen that joy is linked to our involvement in Christian community, that there is an intimate connection between being involved with the body of Christ and with our joy. We've seen that um, joy is most, intimate, most found in our, in our faith, in our trust in Jesus that makes us righteousness, not in our own attempts to be righteous. Um, and we've seen that joy is fueled in the hope um, of the resurrection, that, that is our glorification. We've seen a lot about joy, and, and what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks has sort of been like the theory, the theory, the theology, the big picture stuff. And tonight, we're going to shift gears a little bit. <clears throat> tonight, we come to most times in Paul's book, there's this point where he shifts. He talks big theology, and all of a sudden, he brings it back into focus and talk, starts talking about how does this affect our lives? How does this affect how we live? So we're going to shift from the theory to the practical tonight. How do we live this in our real day-to-day? So um, with that, I'm going to dive into the text, and then we'll look at it. So um, if you have your Bible or if you have the bulletin, will you look with me at it? Uh, this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, one. Brothers, and you could also say sisters, so brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the, the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things." But our citizenship is in heaven, and, it is, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the opportunity to... Take a step away from um, everything that distracts us and um, the good things even, the distractions and the good things, and um, come into your presence, join your people, um, pray and um, preach and, and all these. Father, we pray that your spirit would be present in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. thought I heard a beep. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, okay. I don't know. I heard something weird. But um, so anyways, okay. So like I said, we're going to move towards a, we're, we're moving towards the practical here. And, and it starts off by Paul. He's exhorting us. He's exhorting us to something. And really what he's doing here is there's a big idea. If there's one thing that this, this text is about tonight, it's about Paul encouraging us to live in a separate way. Paul encouraging us to live in a separate way. And he does this by showing us two directions. Two directions, and then he gives us this exhortation. So that's how I want to look at the text tonight. I want to look at it as these two directions and the exhortation. 
Two directions in an exhortation. So first thing, I want to look at the direction, the, the direction number one. And this is the direction of those opposing Christ. So we're going to skip verse 17 for now. We'll come back to it. So let's look at verse 18. What does it say? He says, For many of whom I have for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Now the first question that we read when we, we think when we read this is, who's he talking about? Who is this group that he's talking about that they walk as enemies of the cross? And honestly, we're not really sure. They, they, there's a bunch of theories that uh, theologians will po- toss around about who this could be. Um, and honestly, it, it's, it's, it really doesn't matter. There's, there's a whole lot. There's, it's not really important, but there, because there's a couple of things that we can infer about this group, that we can read between the lines about who this group is. And it's a group that Paul has obviously warned them about. He's talked to them about this group while he was with them, and now he warns them about them again. And he says, he warns them because he says they oppose the cross of Christ, or they're against the Christian message. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that? How does, what does he say? How do they oppose it? And he gives some characteristics of this group and their direction. And he gives three characteristics, okay? So the first characteristic he gives, he says, they walk as enemies of the cross. They walk as enemies of the cross. Now, whenever the word walk is used in the Bible, it's used all across the Bible. It talks a lot about walk, and that's maybe why we often in Christian circles talk about the walk or walk the talk or something like that. It's used as a figure of speech, and it's used as a metaphor to describe our, our actions, our behavior, our very practical lives as Christians, the choices and the actions and the thoughts that we have in our day-to-day lives. Like, how are you walking out your faith? That's what, that's what this word walk means. And so he's like in verse 17, he says, walk according to the example set in us. Live or act or think according to the example set by us. So walk means our daily actions. And so here's this group. He says their daily actions, their daily actions are at enmity or contest or against or oppose the cross of Christ. Now, the cross of Christ, that should be obvious. The cross of Christ is like what Jesus was all about. As, we, as Christians, we say that Jesus, that's the climax of who Jesus is and what he came for. This, so, so when it says they oppose the cross, it means that their actions, they oppose everything about who Jesus is. They oppose everything in their actions of who Jesus is. But that's not all he says. He gives us more characteristics. He says their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Now, what does that mean? That means probably that they serve and even, even they worship their basest, their lowest, their most shameful desires and appetites. Their top priority, he says, their top priority is to satisfy their own selfish cravings and desires. Basically, they're, he's saying they're incredibly selfish. They worship their own selfishness. And he says there one more thing. He says they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. That means the things that are, dis- that are sinful and shameful and bad in their lives, that's what, they're, that's what they're proud of. That's what they wallow in. That's what they celebrate is the things that are most broken and shameful about them. And in Colossians 3, um, Paul talks, he uses the same sort of language to talk about. And, but there he's, he's doing much the same thing. He's actually exhorting the church again. And listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, he says this to the Christians. He says, set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
And now he describes the earthly things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness. And he says, which is idolatry? Do you hear the overlap again? So he's using, he says there's earthly things, just like he says in this text. He says they're sinful desires, and he says these things are ultimately idols. So he's saying that even all of us, but especially this group, they're opposed to, they worship their own, their, their self, their, they, they serve their basest desires, and they're incredibly selfish. Okay, so that's their, that's their characteristics. Now, what's the direction of this group? What's the direction they're going in? And he tells us in verse 19, he says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now, what does this mean? This means that for those who oppose the cross, for those who oppose the cross, who make a consistent practice of sinful actions, their future is destruction and death. And now this brings up a really sticky point today in our world, right? This brings up something that's really, really not a popular topic, but it's one we have to talk about, and it's this idea of judgment, of God's eternal wrath and judgment. And, and the question is that we all, all face at some point in our lives, and maybe some of you are even asking this right now, is how can a loving God condemn people to destruction? How can a loving God, you say, John, you talk about this God of love, how can this loving God condemn people to destruction? That's a hard question, and I don't have time to answer it all tonight. That's several sermons. Um, but I want to say one thing about it, one thing about it. <clears throat> and if you're mad at me, you can come yell at me afterwards and we can talk about it. Um, but I'll say this. I think that you and I, we actually want a God who judges. If you actually think about it, we want a God who judges. Now, why would I say this? Why would I say this? Well, think about any sort of act of oppression or injustice. And there's a lot in our world going on, a lot of oppression, a lot of injustice all the way from the oppression of women, the oppression of minorities, oppression of races. Pick one. Children, pick one. There's tons of oppression. Now, basically, any sort of oppression from an individual to a whole people group, it's basically an act of selfishness by the oppressor, where they're using the oppressor or abusing the, they're using the oppressed for their own purposes. It's, it's, like, it's like mega selfishness, right? It's using other people for your selfish ends. And because there's so much in this justice in this world, here's the reality. We're not going to get perfect justice in our world. That's just, it's not going to happen. Like we try, we try to have laws. We try to have international law. We try to have civil law that, that, that will bring justice towards to the oppressed and to the afflicted. But here's the reality. We're not going to be able to get there. We're not going to be able to bring perfect justice in the world. All the children in the world um, starving from wars or genocide victims who never get justice. And here's the good thing. The promise that God will destroy them in death, here's the good thing. It's the promise that there will be justice. It's the promise that there will be justice, that for those who are truly afflicted, they will, they will get justice. All those who abuse and oppress, they will face justice and judgment and punishment. And that's a good thing. If God wasn't just, then there would be infinite, there would be injustice that would never get righted, ever. We need a God who's actually just. Now, a ton more could be said on that. If you're mad at me, come talk to me afterwards. I understand there's a lot of questions and we can talk about it over coffee. But here's the point. Those who oppose God and live out their opposition towards God in their daily actions, in their walk, in their lifestyles, their end is destruction. And here's the implication in all of that. Don't be like those people. Don't be like those people. 
in effect, Paul is saying. He's saying, don't be like this group in your daily life who are opposed towards God. And that brings us to the second direction. If the first direction is towards the earth, is towards the oppression, uh, towards destruction, the second direction is an upward or heavenly direction. Look with me at verse 20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? Well, first, it means that if you and I believe the gospel, if we believe the gospel of of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Well, first first of all, it shows us the incredible grace of God. The incredible grace of God. Other parts of Scripture tell us that we were once those who were on the path to destruction. We were once those who were at... Ephesians 2 tells us we were hostile towards God. We were enemies of God. We were those enemies of the cross. All of us. Romans tells us that all of us are hostile towards God. And here's the thing. Look what it says. But... Our, but our. This is this is one of my favorite. It's one of the most important words in the whole scripture. When it says "but," I call it a holy but, somewhat facetiously. It's a holy but because it says this isn't the end of the story. But our, and here's the grace. God in His mercy, He makes us citizens of heaven. He redirects us. Here we are careening towards destruction, and God redirects us and says, "I'm going to make you on a different path." How does he do that? Well, he tells us implicitly in the next line. He says, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Savior, he delivers us from the path of destruction and sets us on a new direction, a heavenly direction. He changes our direction. Do you see how he does that? He saves us and gives us a new direction. When we were directed inwardly, selfishly towards destruction, he redirects us towards heaven. That is, y'all, that's our salvation. And it's, 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 it's by grace. It's a totally free gift. Notice that Paul does not say, clean your life up, get your act together. When you, can, when, you, when, you, when you can get yourself ready, then you can be a citizen of heaven. That's not what he says. He says, but God makes us citizens of heaven. He says, Jesus saves us. All we have to do is admit, man, I was, I, I was a wreck. I am a wreck. I'm hostile towards God most days accept his love, and he he changes our direction. He makes us citizens of heaven. So that our citizenship is in heaven. But there's more here. There's more here than that. He says that God does not just save us and leave us there. He doesn't just say, okay, now you're good. Now just go about your business. Look, he tells us more. He says that we have a glorious future in the heavenly city. Look at verse 21. It says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our Savior Jesus, He will transform our lowly body to be like His heavenly body. What does this mean? It means that if you are a Christian, death is not the end of life. If you're a Christian, death is not the end of life. That there is a future that is far brighter and far better than the present. So how do I, how do I illustrate this? Well, the last couple of weeks, you know, as the, sun, as the seasons change, the sun starts coming up later. And so I get up kind of early, not as early as I should, but kind of early. And I get up and I read my Bible. 
And um, so the last couple of weeks, this, uh, when I get up, it's dark. And so I turn on this lamp that we have to, uh, to read my Bible. And it's a bright halogen lamp. So you turn it on, it just boom, lights up the whole room. You know, uh, why is that funny? <laughs> There's a light turning on. But, um, so it lights up the whole room, right? And, and then slowly, as I'm reading my Bible and praying throughout my mor- you know, over the next couple minutes, the sun comes up. And then all of a sudden, the sun is like, eventually I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, the light might as well not even be on. Like the sun is so much more powerful, so much brighter, so much better than this big halogen lamp, which lit up the room. You turn it off and you don't even notice it was on because the sun is so much brighter, is so much more powerful, is so much more illuminating than what that lamp could do. It's this, it's this, the sun lights the room far brighter than the lamp ever could. That is what our heavenly existence will be like. That's what heaven will be like. It's a life that's so full of flourishing and brightness and radiance and joy that, that life here doesn't even compare. It, do, it pales in comparison. It might as well not even be there. It's the difference between a lamp lighting up a room and the sun completely overpowering that lamp. Completely overpowering it. And so right now, you and I, where are we? We're, we're at that sunrise part. Where the, we're in that sort of in-between where the lamp sort of is, this lamp is on. It still lights it up a little bit, but the sun is coming up. We're in that in-between where the sun is rising, but it's not fully up. Jesus is risen, but we're still here. We're in that already but not yet period. But that bright morning is coming and how glorious, how glorious it will be when he transforms our bodies to be like his body. So that's the heavenly direction. It's this direction that we're all going towards, towards being resurrected, fully human, fully joyful, everything that we could ever want. So if that's the two directions that we've looked at, he gives us one, the earthly direction, which is just spiraling into selfishness and sin and shame, and another direction which is spiraling heavenly, heavenward into being more human and more alive than we could ever direct, imagine. If that's the two directions he gives us, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And that's where he gives us this exhortation. And this is where we get to the real meat of this passage. Look with me at verse 17 here. He says, look in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What does he say? He says, imitate me. Imitate me and walk in that heavenly direction. Walk in that heavenly direction. So how do we do that? How do we actually, how do we, how do we, how do we walk in that heavenly direction? Well, he gives us two things, I think. First, he gives us imitation. Imitations. He says in verse 17, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to things. So 1 Corinthians 11, he says the same thing. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I was thinking about that this week, and that's actually a huge mercy that he gives us that. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes following Jesus can feel so abstract and so vague. I'm like, man, Jesus, he lived and died and walked 2,000 years ago, and here I am 5,000 miles away from Jesus or more, and 2,000 years later, and I don't have any idea what it looks like to follow Jesus. But you know what I do have? People who have been Christians a whole lot longer than me who I can say, they know something I don't know. They have insight and knowledge and experience that I don't know. And if I can imitate them while they're a little further ahead, 
then I'll be imitating Christ. It's a grace that he gives us. He doesn't just give us this abstract command to be like Jesus. He says, imitate those who, fought, who already have a little bit more. So when I was, went to school in New York City, um, I'd go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is like one of the premier art, univer- uh, art museums in the world. And so it's got just, I mean, incredible works of art. It was one of my favorite places to go. And every time you go in there, I mean, every time there would always be art students who were posted up in front of some painting. Yeah, they'd pick the most random paintings, but they'd be imita- they would literally be copying it. They would take a painting that they saw something in, they respected, and they would literally try to make the most carbon, identical copy they could. Right? Now, what are they doing? They're learning from the master. They're going to someone who they respect their artistic skill, and they're saying, this artist knew something that I need, that I need to copy. Now, that, y'all, that's exactly how our faith life should work. We need to find the people around us who say, they're on to something. They know Jesus in a way that I don't know him yet. And if I still don't know exactly what to do, I know I can at least learn from them. We need to find, what does this mean practically? It means that we should all be finding one, two, three, not a lot, but one or one, a couple of people who are more mature and more experienced and more knowledgeable at being a Christian, following Jesus, and we should imitate them. And so that's the question. Do you have someone like that? Do you have someone who you say, yeah, they know what they're doing a little bit more than I do. And you can, you can sit down with them once a month, once a week, and just say, help me follow Jesus more. I encourage you to find someone like that. But there's more that he gives us. He says, first, imitate imitation. Second thing he gives us, he says, he tells us that we live into our citizenship. Live into our citizenship. Or we can live into our future resurrection. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? live into our citizenship? Well, think of, me, think of this. In, in World War II England, in Britain, during uh, the Battle of Britain, uh, and the whole English um, fight against Nazi Germany, the, people of, uh, the, the English people, they lived into their citizenship as the British people. It consumed the war effort. They called it the war effort. And I mean, it was just like a canopy that encased every part of their life. They recycled everything. Like old rubber shoes, bits of metal they would find around their house. They changed their whole diet so that huge portions of food could go towards soldiers on the, on the front. They would start wearing different clothes so that they could save different kinds of fabric that would go to medical, medical supplies and bandages and uniforms. I mean, everything, every part of their day, every part of their day went towards the war effort. They lived out their British citizenship in every single moment of their lives. And y'all, if that's true of a political or a national citizenship, how much more true is that of us for our heavenly citizenship? How much more true is that of us who are on a different direction for our souls? It means that, and this is what it means, it means that every single part of our lives Every single part of our lives needs to be focused and oriented on the upward direction towards heaven. We must start living the resurrection life now. We start living the resurrection life now. So Eugene Peterson um, is a great pastor. Well, he was. He, he actually went to be with the Lord yesterday. So, um, 
So he's an incredible pastor. If you ever get a chance to read any of his stuff, I recommend it. But uh, he has this amazing quote, which I just discovered today reading about him. He says, Resurrection does not have to do exclusively with what happens after we are buried or cremated. It does have to do with that. But first of all, it has to do with the way we live right now. Let me read that again. Pay attention. Resurrection does not have to do exclusively with what happens after we are buried and cremated. It has to do with that. But first of all, it has to do with the way we live right now. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying that we can actually, we should actually start living out our resurrection bodies now in our very practical lives. What does this mean? It means that every part of our lives needs to reflect who we are as Christians who we are as citizens of heaven. It means that your sexual life should be one that refrains from sexual activity outside of marriage. It means that substances that you put in your body, from food to alcohol to anything else, it should do no harm to your body because you're going to have a physical body in heaven. We're practicing now. It means that your social life should seek relationships that humanize and edify and encourage others. It means that you and I need to live lives that are, just, that are filled with radical self-giving and generosity and, and, and sincerity towards others, and we reject the sinful desires and pursue love, community, and friendship. Remember that walk has to do with moral and behavioral. It's a moral and behavioral focus. That means that your Christian life, it affects right now. It affects 15 minutes from now when you're walking back to Pinon or Chamisa or wherever you're going. It's saying that there should be that you should be growing in your heavenly citizenship right now. Don't wait to the end for the resurrection, Paul says. Start now. Start now. And that's why he says in verse 4, chapter 1, he says, therefore, or if all of this is true, if everything I've just said is true, therefore, in light of everything I've said, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't you dare budge from how far you've gotten. You are a citizen in heaven. Don't give it up in your life. Don't give it up in how you're living. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't be passive. Don't be opposed to what God is doing through the cross. Join it. Eugene Peterson had another quote, which is just amazing. I just I could spend my whole life thinking about this. He, um, he says, he describes, he, this is how he describes the Christian life. He says, the Christian life is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. It's a lifelong struggle and fight against sin so that our lives become obedient in one direction, in the heavenward direction, towards our heavenly citizenship. It's heavenward. It's towards our heavenly citizenship. So if you're not a Christian or you don't know, maybe you're not sure where you are, I encourage you to ask yourself, what direction are you going in? I don't often do this in sermons, but I'm going to ask you, ask yourself, what direction are you going in? Is it one towards self and shame and sin? Or is it towards heaven, towards a bright resurrection light? And I encourage you, think about Jesus as the Savior and join us, the community of Christians, as we are on that long obedience in the heavenly direction. And if you are a Christian, hear Paul's exhortation to you tonight. Stand firm. Fight for your heavenly citizenship. Find one or two very practical ways that you can live out the resurrection even this week. 
where you can walk the long obedience heavenward. And we have God's promise, y'all. We have God's promise in verse 21 that we're not doing this alone, but look what it says in verse 21. It says, by the power that enables him, we're not on this alone, that God is as much in this as, he, as we are. In fact, he's way more committed this, to this than we are. That God who has raised Jesus from the dead, his power is what enables you to live in that heavenward direction and to bring us to himself. May that be true of us all. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks so much for this text. Thanks for how it shows us. Um, First, it challenges us for the ways that we live uh, sinfully, shamefully. And then it also shows us what the Christian life can be of long obedience in the heavenward direction. Father, give us the courage and the confidence and the trust to join you in that direction. May that be true of us, Lord, as a community and as individuals. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.